This is Hearsay from Law Week, Colorado, and I'm Julia Cardi. In this episode, we discuss why the COVID-19 pandemic is a touchpoint for mental health in the legal profession. The disruption that you're talking about is a stressful thing. As a lot of us, you know, as people moved home, as people left the office scenario, as people found a new way of trying to do this, we do things in our heads that become incredibly stressful, right? In 2016, a study by the American Bar Association and the Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation revealed lawyers suffer from higher rates of anxiety, depression, substance abuse, and suicide than the general population. It painted a grim picture, and it jump-started open discussions about mental health and the need for change in the profession and in legal education. The next year, a national task force published recommendations for improving wellness in the legal profession. But the COVID-19 pandemic has come with a whole set of potential triggers for mental health struggles and substance use. The upending of daily routines we took for granted, financial distress, absorbing the trauma of clients who have suffered economically. My first guest is Sarah Myers, Executive Director of the Colorado Lawyer Assistance Program. We discuss why the pandemic is an important context for discussing mental health. Later, We'll also hear from a lawyer who returned to practicing after coming back from an alcohol addiction and disbarment. That's all ahead on this episode of Hearsay. Sarah, thank you for doing this. What are lawyers reaching out to Colap for help about right now? We cover a broad range of behavioral health issues, so mental health or substance use issues, which includes stress and issues that come up within the profession, right? Someone might want to change practice areas or we get calls from bar applicants with questions about, you know, their bar applications. So it's kind of this wide range of topics, but it's also a wide range of severity of issues. There's always been a a misnomer, I think, uh, that's been out there for lawyer assistance programs that we only handle the intense crisis situations or intense situations with substance use or mental health problems. And the truth of the matter is the majority of calls to COLAP are what I would call for mitigation or prevention. With what's going on right now, the issues at the core of them are the same. It's just there's different causes behind them now, right? So we might have gotten calls from attorneys before with concerns about their financial situation. But now that's heightened as, especially with solos, it could almost come to a breaking point where they have to shut down their their small firm, right? Or their solo practice um, because of what they're looking at. So it's kind of individual's topics are not just for an acute, immediate situation. People are looking long-term at what this might do uh, the change in the economy, the change in the demand for legal services um, is definitely, and how are they going to pay their staff? How are they going to pay their bills? All that sort of thing, all the way to even at the federal level with the CARES Act, you know, even though we can't give legal or certainly we don't want to be giving financial advice to anybody, um, certainly above our pay grade, we will be able to remind people of who they could contact to ask questions about that for, right? For example, their accountant or, you know, a financial manager they have access to. So for financial stuff, it's how do we get them the resources they need for those issues? And to your question, the financial stressors are a big one right now, as everyone can identify with. Another piece is what I would call general, almost existential angst, if you will, around the fact that they don't feel themselves. So this banks up against normal calls we get for maybe some anxiety, which is very common in the legal profession, and depression, which is the byproduct of anxiety, which what goes up must come down, so to speak, with the nervous system. And so people are still experiencing those things, but they're experiencing them more because they don't 
this is such a different circumstance for them. You'll hear people talk about, for example, there's anxiety or stress around this grief process for the fact that our lives have changed so much. So kind of not just grieving our routines and, and missing that the people we were interacting with on a daily basis and what our lives were like, but it's also the long-term grieving of big changes might need to be made here. Uh, some people are recognizing that perhaps relationships or even their, their career, their job, their current job is not really right for them. This is kind of pushing people at that, I almost want to say, breaking point. And in a healthy way, it's helping people examine their values, like what's important to me and what do I want my life to be like? So you're not only having lawyers reach out for help with whatever stressors they are having that might be triggered, but you're also seeing people in the profession even question, is this the right profession for me? Those are calls that we certainly got in the past, but now they're coming in with this different almost urgency. Like a lot of things feel urgent to people because when you feel stuck, things feel really urgent. And a lot of us are physically stuck right now, right, in our environment. So yes, that's, that's definitely a piece of the pie. Can you talk about what seem to be the triggers for that internal reflection right now? Is it the possible financial stress that lawyers might be experiencing if their work is slowing down or even if they may be losing a job? Is it just the suddenness of all of the changes as a result of the pandemic? Is it, you know, increased stress that they may be absorbing from their clients because of all of the economic stress that their clients are feeling? I mean, tell me about what seems to be triggering this kind of internal reflection right now? Well, A, it's all of the above that you just said. Um, I will add to that. It's an adversarial field. We know this. We, we signed on to it. Uh, however, most reports I have heard over the past few years, and I know that there's a lot of literature out there and research that supports this as well, is that civility has been on the decline. It's like lawyers have more and more been taking on their clients' stress and taking it out on opposing counsel or the court. And everybody agrees on that. And so we already had this situation where there was, you know, a little powder keg, if you will. And now when you add additional stressors to what are already there and our clients are more and more stressed out and more and more desperate in some cases, obviously you can imagine public defenders worrying about their, the defendants or clients being in jails when they are being exposed to this. So all of these elements within the field are adding to something that can lead to us being less and less civil with each other having more and more of a short fuse and specifically even reading an email that might be pretty ambiguous, but taking it as a threat and even seeing it as something that's an attack. And so when we were already having a hard time dealing with that, there were a lot of people questioning, is this worth it to me, my physical health, what the stress is doing? You know, I, I love my clients. I love practicing law, but working, you know, on the other side of opposing counsel is wearing me down. And now, if that's getting heightened, it makes people question even more, is this a long-term sustainable profession for me? So it sounds like that in addition to the particular triggers that this pandemic is bringing up, whether it's financial stress, client stress, any number of things, that working from home is almost creating this pressure cooker situation that makes the exacerbation of these issues impossible to ignore. Correct. and it. Anything that we had, again, just to use that term, almost pre-existing, anything that was already there is going to become heightened. One example would be lawyers that have children 
the first couple of weeks of this pandemic, it was kind of unknown what was going to happen with the schools. And because it was it was around for most people spring break. So it was kind of like, we'll go home for spring break or have spring break, but then, you know, we might be back. And over time, as we know, the genesis of this has been that now parents are not only having to work from home, lawyers are working from home, they're also having to help their children with their school um, as the schools went remote. And that was something that kind of developed over time. So even more specific stressors around um, were really this twofold effect. First of all, working from home means there is no separation. There's no physical separation, which the brain needs to relax from something. There's no physical separation between being at court and being in the office and being at home anymore. We're there all the time, which means those of us that are workaholics, which is a huge percentage of our profession, are being tempted by that addiction nonstop. In addition to the fact that most of the requests coming our way seem so urgent, so we can't put it down. It's like it's never getting done. There's just this never-ending to-do list. And we don't have that, even if it was brief, that time to step out of the office, get into our car um, or public transport or however we got home, and get home and have that, hey, how you doing, you know, to our family or our roommates or, you know, if we live with anybody or our pets. And that allows the brain to relax a little bit. Even if we would start getting back into it once we got home, usually most of us would come home, maybe make some dinner. There was at least some respite. So that's a big issue. And now you add the lack of boundary with children and their schoolwork, um, especially for single parents. I mean, this is just added exponentially to stressors or difficulties or recognizing to what we were talking about that these these things are in existence, and now they're being heightened by those kind of circumstances. And during the past several weeks, as I have talked to lawyers about the impact of the COVID pandemic on their practices, something that I've heard more than a few times is when we're talking about the comparison of the economic damage right now, a comparison that comes up is the financial crash of 07, 08, you know, that led to the Great Recession. And that is just the last major development in terms of economic fallout that we have really been able to compare the COVID pandemic and all of its trickle-down effects to. So, So that's kind of the economic side of things. But can you point to any other events or developments in recent memory that had similar potential to trickle down to lawyer mental health that can give us any kind of comparison point to what we're seeing right now in terms of the COVID pandemic leading to new triggers for mental health struggles? Probably not. I think, you know, um, this is one of those moments in time that's completely new in recent history to your question specifically. If you're asking if we've seen anything like this so that we could predict how this is going to impact lawyer well-being, my prediction around it is actually it's going to increase availability of behavioral health resources, not just for lawyers, judges, and law students in the legal profession, but for the community as a whole. And it has been becoming. I know in Colorado, uh, the governor has put specific efforts into increasing access to behavioral health care in the state. There are efforts nationally in that. And when This increase, as it's been coming, it increases people's drive, again, to take care of these things because they can't avoid them anymore, you know, versus, oh, yeah, that's just woo-woo or, you know, the strong survive here. So, you know, it's like a fraternity. We all dealt with this stressful hazing. Now you should, too. That is becoming less and less. And so I would actually predict it increases availability of services. I also think it will decrease stigma around asking for help in general, right? So 
people that maybe never would have thought of going to couples counseling. Now they've been quarantined together and they know they want to stay together, but they know they need to work on their communication skills. They're going to be much more willing to engage in what's most likely going to be teletherapy, right, online for at least the foreseeable future. Um, but they're going to be more willing to engage in that. Next, we'll hear from a lawyer who returned to practicing law after recovering from an alcohol addiction and came back from disbarment. Even though he has more than 15 years of sobriety, his story might resonate with lawyers who have had mental health struggles triggered by the pandemic. Stick around. The lawyer I'm talking to now was readmitted to law practice in Colorado almost 10 years ago. He had lost his license in the early 2000s after bouncing checks from his trust account. Years of alcohol and cocaine use had caught up with him, and he had been taking money out of the account. It still took him a few more years after disbarment to get treatment for his alcohol addiction. But the treatment through Alcoholics Anonymous resonated with him, and he's been sober since 2004. Even though he hasn't had a drink in more than 15 years, he understands how the pandemic can trigger stress, anxiety, and substance use for some people. And he has some advice on how to reach out for help. Since this interview includes details about his participation in Alcoholics Anonymous, we're not using his name. Can you talk more about why do you think it is that Alcoholics Anonymous really was what flipped the switch for you, so to speak? Well, anything that I say is just my best guess at what happens. And there's a lot of magic to the spiritual program in terms of how it happens and what happens there. But I think a big part of addiction, whether it be alcoholism or drug addiction, comes from a feeling of separation, isolation, not belonging. Uh, whether it's separation from, you know, our fellow man or separation from God or just separation, period. And I think there's something about drinking. You know, if you get to be around the rooms, you hear people talk about their first drink experience. And they'll have that experience of, I had that drink and suddenly the world made sense. I finally belonged. I was finally part of something and I, I fit in. The instruction booklet for life that everybody else had been given, I finally felt like I had it. And I think that feeling, that sensation is so powerful that our brain kind of takes it as being the new normal. And it realizes that if we're not having that drink, if we don't get that drink, then it's almost death to go back to that feeling of isolation and loneliness. And so we are compelled then to continue to drink really more of a, as a survival instinct. And you know, science tells us that the disease is resting in the amygdala, which is that center part of our brain, which is the lizard brain that's left over. And I think that makes a lot of sense, that that subconscious sensation of survival is what drives us to continue to drink. And because it's subconscious, we can't really put a finger on it. We can't control it. But there's something about a spiritual awakening. There's something about finding that spiritual life that Alcoholics Anonymous or other 12-step programs gives you that replaces that. And all of a sudden, you do feel like you belong, and you are a part of something, and you, know, you are important again. And with that, that need to drink then is overcome by that spiritual awakening. And once you have the real spiritual feeling of belonging, the synthetic feeling that you got from alcohol doesn't measure up. It's nowhere near as good. And so you wind up not needing to drink anymore as long as you maintain a spiritual program where you continue to have that sense of connection. 
you know, a big focus of this story is the possibility of all the changes brought on by the coronavirus pandemic to trigger mental health struggles for people in the legal profession, which we know is already a really stressful profession. Can you talk a little bit about your personal mindset right now? Have any of the changes brought on by this pandemic, whether that's new sources of stress or just disruptions to routine, triggered any temptation to turn to alcohol again as a security blanket, like we might call it? Well, not for me. You know, like I was saying, so much of this disease rests in this idea of community and being able to belong and be a part of things. And the COVID-19 separated us, right? You know, moved us all into our rooms to think about our lives for a while. And that's not a good thing. I mean, not for somebody in recovery. We need to stay connected. I've seen a lot of people that are having problems with this because, again, from where they were able to have that connection through their frequent meetings, you know, whether it was AA or other 12-step programs, or to be able to meet with a sponsor or to meet with sponsees and to do all those spiritual things that we do, that this disease kind of shut that off, made that impossible. Can't meet in person. We can't sit across a kitchen table and talk about, you know, what our life is like and to do our inventory that we do. And so we tried as quickly as we could to get into the virtual life, you know, the Zoom meetings and those things. But for some people, it was still just difficult. It wasn't the same. It didn't feel the same. They still felt separated. And once you start to get separated again from this spiritual program, then that need to drink starts to come back again. Because the way I see it, our brain starts feeling like we're dying again, right? We're going back into that isolation, loneliness. Uh, being kind of invisible, and alcohol seems like a solution again. It starts to seem like that's the thing that can overcome that painful sensation that we incur. The difficulty is, is that the practice of law is already stressful. And so for people that weren't necessarily already alcoholic or having alcoholic problems, now all of a sudden they're at home, and there's no supervisor there, there's no partner watching them, and they're doing work at their home desk, and so you start to ask yourself, well, you know, I'm a little bit on edge. Maybe just a little vodka cranberry at 10 o'clock in the morning wouldn't hurt it. And you start to see the amount of liquor sales and how they're going up right now and some of the difficulties with that. And you start to realize that people are turning to it as a coping mechanism, and they're going to start to have problems as a result of that. You know, it starts to become a habit, starts to become a uh, crutch for them in those situations. And so it sounds like a big takeaway of what you're talking about in the broad context is even just the disruption of routines that people are experiencing right now can be enough to trigger mental health struggles like anxiety, substance use. If we can return to your personal history a little bit, tell me about how when you were struggling with alcohol abuse yourself in the first part of your career, how did transitioning to a home-based office exacerbate that problem? Well, yeah. So as I was starting to have some money problems, I realized that, you know, spending thousands of dollars a month on a big office uh, probably wasn't all that important based on the type of work that I was doing. And so I decided to close up my regular office where I was around other people. And, you know, I opened an office in my home, thinking that that would be cheaper and easier. But again, the difficulty with that was that at that point, alcohol is available all the time. And it just seemed to me like 
it's okay. I, I, you don't realize as you're drunk how much that impairs your ability to think and everything else. The denial that we have around the disease is powerful. And for me, it was the road to disaster because then I started drinking all the time. I didn't have to wait until, you know, even noon or one o'clock because there was nobody around me. There was no societal norm that I had to, uh, you know, conform to. And it started to create huge problems. But beyond that, again, the disruption that you're talking about is a stressful thing. As a lot of us, you know, as people moved home, as people left the office scenario, as people found a new way of trying to do this, we do things in our heads that become incredibly stressful, right? We start wondering what others are talking about us behind our back. And because we can't see their faces anymore, we don't know what they're thinking about us. And we start telling ourselves, oh, they're all conspiring to get me or I'm going to be fired any minute because they really don't need me. And I, I didn't get that brief to write that I thought I was going to do. And they sent it somewhere else. So they're obviously doing this. And when you're not in person, when you can't see people, when you can't talk to them and feel their emotions, you know, we just assume the worst. And that stress, that anxiety pushes us to some solution to try to deal with that, to cope with it. And unfortunately, a lot of people in that situation turn to alcohol. A figure of speech that we have is misery loves company. And even though that sounds like it has a negative spin on it, I do think it really is true that knowing that other people are in the same situation can really help with, at least with the piece of making you realize that you're not the only one either through your participation in Alcoholics Anonymous or any other kind of relationships, whether personal or business. Was there a sense of that once you were getting help and once you started recovering that helped you at all? It was amazing. So when I first started doing recovery meetings and I started going to AA and I started meeting with people that had had a problem with alcohol and found a solution, and they started describing that strange mental twist that we had, the way of thinking, the behaviors that we do that just seem absurd. I thought I was just flat insane. And I assumed that I was the only person on the planet that could be this crazy. And you start to meet people and we start laughing about those similar idiosyncrasies, the stupid things that we did. You know, the one guy that I had in treatment that talked about that he had to switch from vodka to tequila. The reason he had to do that was because tequila bottles were square and they wouldn't get away from him in the morning. <laughs> it's like, I get that. I see why you would do that, right? You know, it's those types of things that we start to see that there's something about the disease or something about the human condition that we think things that we think are crazy, yet we find out that we're all the same, that we do things the same way. And that once we get a handle on that and start to realize that there's a solution and we see that solution working in others, the amount of hope that comes from that is remarkable. What would be your advice to lawyers and other people in the legal profession who have felt any mental health struggles really heightened recently? I will tell you that I passed both the CPA exam and the bar exam and uh, mental will and you know, motivation that it takes to do that wasn't anywhere close enough to be able to take on the battle against alcoholism. So you need help. You need others. And the one thing that we have now that we didn't have back then is the Colorado Lawyers Assistance Program. We had Colorado Lawyers Helping Lawyers back then, and of course, that's still available as well. And so you can do peer support meetings with us there. 
But the Colorado Lawyers Assistance Program also has a great deal of resources that they can help and direct your way if you think you're having problems. More than that, though, I think for anybody else that might be listening to this, you might be listening because you have a friend that you're worried about. And if you've got somebody that you know that you think is drinking too much or starting to have a problem, call Colab. Tell them what's going on. Confidentially, they can help your friend, whoever that is. And sometimes it's a partner or a judge, somebody you really don't want to turn in, but they can help. They can do it confidentially. They will never know who told them about it, but you may save their life. Something that I remember specifically talking about with Jim Coyle, the former attorney regulation counsel here in Colorado, was the mentality in the legal profession that has been dominant for quite a long time about finding ways to deal with stressors and struggles on your own. If something is stressing you out, if you're overworked, if you're dealing with anxiety or any struggles like that, just figure out a way to power through it. And he was very vocal about hoping that the legal profession can really move away from that mentality and encouraging people to not deal with their struggles on their own. Where do you think the legal profession is at this point in time in getting rid of the stigma around asking for help? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the requirement is is that we be absolutely immune from difficulties. You know, if we go and admit that we're having some sort of problem, whether it be depression, anxiety, or otherwise, you know, it seems that the reaction from the typical legal community is to segregate you and put you away because they're worried that you could cost them clients, you could harm a case, you could create liability. We've got a long ways to go, but we are getting much better. Uh, One of the big things that I am proud of is that the Supreme Court now is involved with an attorney well-being program. And they're in process of moving that forward, which will create a pledge for law firms and other large legal employers, and in fact, any legal employer, where we will stop doing that. You know, we will actually have employee wellness, well-being programs that we will care about people that are having problems that we will provide for vacation, leave of absence, um, you know, assistance. And so we are getting better. But the you know, history of the profession since the world began is that we have to be absolutely immune from any difficulties whatsoever. We have to be bulletproof. And as long as that persists, then we don't feel safe ever getting help. And that creates a huge problem. And it's not just for alcoholism. It's for anxiety leading all the way to suicide. And those rates in the profession are just unacceptable. You mentioned that, in a way, alcoholism was one of the best things that ever happened to you just because of the positive changes that it led to in your life and that are still affecting you today. And that, relatedly, in a way, this pandemic may have a silver lining to it. Just tell me a little bit about that. Before alcohol disrupted my life, you know, I was leading the perfect successful life of a lawyer, right? I had, you know, the wife and kids, I had the new cars, I had the house with the pool, I had all of that stuff. But my entire life was about me and about collecting things and about showing everybody, you know, how successful I was, how valuable I was, and all of those things. And it was all about me and my wants, my needs, my desires. 
And when alcohol stopped me cold in my tracks, you know, I had the opportunity to rethink my life. And now I realize that the most satisfying part of my life is my ability to be of service to others. How can I help meet other people's needs? How can I make their lives a little bit better? And every time I get a chance to do that, my life is richer. I find more fulfillment. And it's infinitely better than anything I had before. And part of this crisis, part of this COVID-19 crisis, um, is that, you know, it's just this wonderful paradox that by separating all of us as a result of this invisible virus, we've all learned that we have to think of others first, right? The entire process of what we're doing here isn't about trying to protect myself from getting this disease. I'm not particularly worried about that but I wear masks on the outside. I'm careful about where I go and what I do because I don't know if I have it and I don't want to infect somebody else. So everything I'm doing is about protecting someone else, someone I may not know, may not ever meet, may not ever hear about. And that's a beautiful place to be in this world is to actually live your life thinking about people that you may never get to meet, but trying to make their lives a little bit better. And the satisfaction and warmth that comes from that in our own lives can be remarkably fulfilling. I think that's a great analogy. Thank you for doing this. That's it for this episode of Hearsay. Thanks for listening. If you or someone you know in the legal profession is struggling, contact Colap by calling 303-986-3345 or emailing info at coloradolap.org. Sarah Myers mentioned that as part of their confidentiality, they cannot report professional misconduct. And as my second guest mentioned, if you reach out on behalf of someone else, Colap will not disclose who contacted them. For more episodes of our monthly podcast, follow us on SoundCloud or listen on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.